they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Well, this incident happened right after they came down the bottom of the mountain, right? They're on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John had seen Jesus transformed before them, right? His face shone. His clothes were brilliant white light. Uh, Elijah and Moses appear. God speaks to them audibly. It's like a glimpse of heaven. This is the very epitome of what a mountaintop experience is. But as we know, what goes up must come down. And so they come down the mountain. And while the apostles are contemplating all they had seen, all they had heard, and even their own failure as Peter is trying to build tents for, for uh, Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, and uh, hindering Jesus from the mission that he has, uh, they're contemplating all this. And when they reach the bottom of the mountain, they come on this chaotic scene. Uh, Jesus finds the remaining nine apostles there arguing with the scribes. And Jesus says, what's going on here? And then the father who brought the demon speaks up and says, I brought my son for healing uh, and describes the symptoms that he has. He's got foaming at the mouth. He's, he's got uh, teeth grinding and he becomes as stiff as a board. And the man said, I came to you for healing, uh, but since you weren't here, uh, I did the next best thing. I asked your disciples. Surely your disciples have the power to heal too, right? And it turns out that they did not in this particular incident. So... Uh, they tried, we know that, and probably the arguing that, we're, that they were talking about, that Mark wrote about in, in uh, verse 14, is the scribes like mocking them uh, for failure to be able to cast out this demon uh, from uh, this boy. Now, I'm sure that the nine apostles who were down below really, really wanted to cast out this demon, right? What better way to show Jesus that they deserve to go up to the mountaintop with the other three uh, than to say, look, we can heal too. Uh, why can't we go up? Well, yeah, we deserve to go up there as well. So they wanted that. They wanted to prove that they belonged up there. But, but also, you know, they're on a public stage now, right? There's a crowd gathered around, and, and the man comes and puts them right on the spot and says, you know, heal this boy. Uh, and so they desperately wanted to uh, succeed uh, because their reputations were on the line. They're in front of this crowd, uh, and uh, they, they did not want to fail. And by now, they should have been experts at casting out demons, right? Because they had done this before. Jesus gave them the power in Mark chapter 6. They went out, cast out demons, uh, came back, reported to Jesus all that they had done. But now, they're not able to cast it out. And so Jesus uh, immediately expresses his frustration with the disciples. He called them, you unbelieving generation. Wow, right? I mean, that, that statement was probably directed at all of them, the scribes and the crowd, but I think especially the disciples, because they're the ones who spent the most time with him. They're the ones who he specifically instructed. And so Jesus's rhetorical questions, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Just indicate his, his continued frustration 
most likely with all of them, but especially with these nine who he had schooled. And how hard it must have been for these disciples to hear these words, right? These disciples left everything to follow him, right? They were fishermen at the Sea of Galilee, some of them, some of them doing other things, but, but here they are, you know, all the way up in the north, far from their homes, far from their families, and Jesus calls them unbelieving, which a synonym for that is faithless. They were without faith. Now, if Jesus' words seem harsh, uh, that's because Jesus was frustrated with them because he repeatedly taught them, and they just don't seem to get it. They don't seem to understand what Jesus is all about. And Jesus' time was short. He's probably got less than a year with them now before he's going to go to the cross, uh, be resurrected, and then ascend to the Father. And they have much to learn. And so here, specifically, Jesus had given his disciples the power to heal, but they forgot how to access that power through faith and through prayer. And so, as a result of their failure, Jesus says, bring the boy to me. Now, let's talk about uh, the father's failure of faith, verses 20 to 24. They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he, Jesus, asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. Well, after uh, they brought the boy to Jesus, the demon immediately knew that his time was up, and so he threw the boy into one last convulsion. Now, many of you here are parents, right? You know the pain and the agony of just watching your son or daughter, uh, even if he or she has a fever and they're lying in bed for a day and very uncomfortable and not feeling well, even though we know the fever is going to be gone in a day or two, it's gut-wrenching to watch your child suffer, even for an hour. Now, put yourself in this man's shoes. Can you imagine the heartache of watching your child suffer at the hands of a demon day after day, month after month, year after year, and being powerless to stop it? And Jesus was this man's last shot. But after a lifetime of watching this boy, uh, and, and, and he's suffering, and, and God hasn't healed him yet, and the disciples' failure to heal him, uh, his faith began to waver a little bit. And so he says, if you can do anything, Take pity on us. Jesus says, if you can, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Just think about that statement for a second. All things are possible to him who believes. The first part of that statement, all things are possible, is a proclamation of God's power, right? All means all, anything anything at all is possible with God. He created the laws of nature, and he can violate them anytime he wants. He created angels who became demons, and he can snuff them out, cast them out anytime he wants. And so uh, demons that are, are far too powerful for us are nothing to God. He can take care of that in a heartbeat. But there's a caveat, isn't there? To him who believes, to him who believes. 
That reminds us of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, which says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So God rewards those who seek him, who believe. That means having the faith to go to him in prayer and trusting him to be God and believing that God will do what's best. God is the oxygen tank. Faith and prayer are the hoses and the mouthpiece that access God's power. This also reminds me of Romans 8.28, a very famous verse, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So God has the power to work all things for good, but he grants it to those with faith, who love God, who are called according to God's purpose. And so we show our trust by prayer and by faith. And prayer and faith are two sides of the same coin, aren't they? A prayer is, is we pray because we believe. That's why we pray. We believe that God has the ability to answer our prayers and do what we ask. And the, so that's one side of the coin, prayer. Faith is the, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, faith is the other side of the coin. Uh, we, we have faith, we believe, because we've seen God repeatedly answer prayer. And so they work together. They go hand in hand, faith and prayer. And so for those with faith, anything is possible because God's power is not limited. And so this is what Jesus says to the man. Uh, anything is possible for him who believes. And now comes the Father's famous statement in verse 24. I do believe. Uh, help my unbelief or help me overcome my unbelief in some versions. Now, the reason that this verse is so famous is because we can all relate to this man, right? Can't we just feel this man's pain, feel his suffering? Uh, he, he's, he's agonizing. Yes, I believe, but I also doubt. And I believe, but I doubt. You know, he's, he's, he's in that area. So let's just look at this statement. First, let, let's recognize that it is a statement of faith, right? I do believe that is a statement of faith, and that's the key. I believe. But he's also not fully committed to it, right? Because uh, he has watched this boy his whole life and seen uh, the tragedy that, that this boy has suffering. And so he knew that his own faith was, was wavering, not as strong as he would like it to be. And so he says, help my unbelief. I mean, can't you relate to this man? His confession, uh, is, it, it, it just hits us right where we live because we often live uh, somewhere in the gray between uh, I have faith, but help my unbelief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I trust you, but I'm not sure if you're going to come through this time, right? That's where we live, in that gray area. I remember very, very vividly my faith wavering when I was a young Christian, and a, one of my best friends died of cancer and left a wife behind with four kids aged 6 to 12. And I looked at that situation and I said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. When Molly was diagnosed with cancer five years ago, and I stood up on this very platform and told you about it and cried while I was telling you about it, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. How hard it is to go through the struggles and trials of life. And you each have your own testimonies about how you have been in that place where you believe, but it's just not going your way. Lord, help my unbelief. Sometimes our faith wavers and waxes and wanes depending on uh, how life is going for us, you know, when, when we're comfortable versus when we're uncomfortable. But don't you know that it's the times when we are the most uncomfortable, uh, when our backs are really against the wall, uh, those times when we really are trying to exercise our insufficient faith muscles, 
That's when God does the best strengthening. And that's what Jesus did for this man. This man wanted to believe with all his heart, but after all he had experienced and all he had seen, his faith was tottering. And have you noticed that the, the, the shift in the focus of the story, it's, it's changed, hasn't it? And it's very subtle. Suddenly the story is not uh, the apostles against the demon or Jesus against the demon. Now the struggle is the man's faith versus his lack of faith. That's where the struggle is. That's where the story is now taking place. So this man has two prayers, right? Heal my son and heal my faith. I need my son healed, but I need my faith healed too at the same time. And so it's not that the man has no faith, but after all he's seen, his faith is not what it could be. Uh, God hadn't healed him. And then when the apostles couldn't heal him, well, he was beginning to lose hope. And there was only one chance left, and that chance was Jesus. Could he heal the boy? Would he heal the boy? I believe, help my unbelief, is a statement of faith. It is a statement of faith, and it's also an acknowledgement of his own weakness. Spurgeon said this uh, about faith. He said, while men have no faith, they are unconscious of their unbelief. But as soon as they get a little faith, then they begin to be conscious of the greatness of their unbelief. And isn't that where this man is? Isn't this where we find ourselves oftentimes? Uh, no faith doesn't question its faith because there is none, but, but, but little faith or weak faith and faith that, that, that is not as strong as we'd like it to be. A seeking more just re makes us realize the, the, the vastness of how far we could improve. So the father's faith was small, but the faith that he had was in Jesus, and that makes all the difference. And so Jesus would heal this boy. So let's read verses 25 to 27. We'll see that a little faith goes a long way. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him, and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. So Jesus sees a crowd starting to gather, and Jesus doesn't want all the attention, so he wants to heal this boy before the crowd gets too large. And the reason for that is, is just like when he tells people to be quiet in earlier miracles, he doesn't want the, the miracle to be misinterpreted, that he's going to do this miracle, and then they're going to try and make Jesus king, and they're going to seize him, and his mission was the cross, and he didn't want to be distracted from it, so he wanted to do this before the crowd got too large. And so Jesus rebuked the demon and gave two commands. Go, go out of him. That's the first one. And the second one, never enter him again. Never enter him again. So Jesus had no problem with this demon, right? What the apostles couldn't cast out, Jesus with a word is able to cast out. This demon had to obey Jesus. It had no choice in the matter. And the demon cried out and caused such convulsions in the boy that the whole crowd thought he was dead. But just like, remember when Jesus healed Jairus' daughter, uh, she's lying on the bed and, and he takes her by the hand and says, little girl, get up. And he does the same thing here with this boy, takes the boy by the hand and the little boy gets up. What a relief to the father, right? What a relief to the father. Not only did he say to the demon, go, but he said to the demon, never return. Now it's one thing to tell a demon to go, but the peace is in the never return, right? Now the man knows that his father is safe for all time from this demon. And this is a picture of our salvation, isn't it? 
our security in Christ is that he holds us and he will not let Satan snatch us out of his hand because God has looked at us and he has said, this one is mine, Satan, hands off. So our salvation is secure uh, because of what Jesus has done. And for this man, Jesus did what no one else could. The boy had terrorized or been terrorized by this demon for years and now he is free. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus is the great deliverer. Now, we probably have never been possessed by a demon, but we have been possessed by the, the law of sin and the law of death, right? But Jesus has uh, freed us from that when he saved us and gave us his Holy Spirit. And so Jesus delivered this, boy's, uh, this boy from the, from the demon and delivered this man's weak faith and doubting faith. No faith opposes Jesus, but little faith seeks Jesus. And this man said, help my unbelief. That is little faith, but it's faith in the right person. Uh, and he's seeking. And so Jesus responded with this miraculous healing. Now, how's that for helping unbelief, right? Is there anything greater that he could have done to help the man's unbelief than that? Imagine how his faith was strengthened. Imagine how his son's faith was strengthened. Uh, imagine the conversations around the dinner table for the next 20, 30, 40 years uh, telling stories of what Jesus did for this boy. How many disciples do you think these two, this father and this son, made as a result of what Jesus did for them? And now after the healing, uh, the apostles questioned Jesus privately, uh, verses 28 and 29, talking about why the disciples' faith failed. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he, Jesus, said to them, this kind cannot come out but by anything but prayer. So what does that mean? Uh, some commentators uh, on one side of the argument say that, that, uh, that Jesus didn't mean like there are special kinds of demons necessarily, but that to, to, to exercise any demon, uh, they have to come out by prayer. That's the only way any demon can come out. But other commentators say that this particular demon was of greater strength than, than your uh, you know, average, regular, de everyday demon uh, and needed special treatment. So, for example, Matthew 12, 45. Do you remember when Jesus tells the story about uh, a man who had a demon who left him uh, and then he came back, uh, found the house clean and swept, and he brought in seven demons stronger than even himself, more wicked than even himself. And so maybe that's what's going on here, that this is an extra specially wicked demon uh, that can only come out by prayer. Uh, I don't think it really matters. I don't think it affects the story either way. I think the point is uh, that their question, why can't we drive it out, why couldn't we drive it out, shows that they were depending on their own power rather than depending on God's power. Now, why would the disciples do this? They'd already seen that they have the power when they invoke uh, prayer uh, and believe by faith. Well, I think it's a very human kind of thing to become overconfident in our own abilities, right? They had earlier successes, and maybe they thought, you know, this is child's play for us. We'll just snap our fingers, and the demon will go, and that'll be the end of it. Uh, but they forgot the critical piece, right? Uh, it was like they were underwater, and they were holding on to an oxygen tank, but they didn't have the, the hoses that make the oxygen available to them. Uh, when they prayed in faith, uh, then they had God's power. But without doing that, they had no power. 
Now, as I said, by this time, uh, Jesus had less than a year to be with them. Uh, and Jesus was trying to prepare them for the mission that he had for them, life without Jesus, where they go to the ends of the earth and they share the gospel. And he's trying to teach them that they have access to God's power. You can have God's power. You can do the miraculous. But you must rely on God's power. It's not your own power. It's God's power. And they needed faith. And they needed prayer to access his power. And we do too. And this is a hard passage, isn't it? When we think about this, it may leave us questioning our own faith. You know, how much faith do we have? Uh, what could we do if we had more faith? And I would just pose to you that I think those are the wrong questions to ask. I don't think those are appropriate questions because this passage teaches that it's not about the size of our faith or what we could do if we had more faith. What it teaches is that God can do the miraculous through us if we have faith and if we pray. In the parallel passage in Matthew, uh, Matthew says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to get up and be cast into the sea, and it would obey you. Well, that's a lot of power, right? But that's the kind of power God has. He's got infinite power, uh, and we can access it through faith and prayer, even if our faith is not that strong. It's the object of our faith that makes the prayer effective. And prayer is how we show our faith in him. If we believe, we will pray, because we know, we recognize, we acknowledge that in our own power we can't do anything, and we're relying on God's power to do it because we know we can't. And so prayer proves our faith. It unleashes the power of God. The disciples didn't pray and couldn't heal. The Father did pray, and Jesus did heal. He healed his son, and he healed his faith. Now let's close with a couple of applications. What can we learn first from the apostles? One thing we can learn from them is that failure is possible even if we're trying to do God's will. The disciples learned that, didn't they? It was God's will to heal this boy, obviously, because Jesus healed him. But the disciples failed to heal him because they went about it the wrong way. And so if they were doing it in God's power and not their own, they would have been successful. But they failed because they forgot prayer and faith. And so this is a constant reminder to us that we need to remain humble. We can't do anything in our own power. We must do it by God's power. Uh, and so it's God's power working through us when we pray that accomplishes God's will. And if we forget that, it's like there's a kink in our air hose and we're not getting the power that comes from the oxygen tank. We need to get back to basics, faith and prayer. And when we forget, we will fail. And when we remember, God will again, give us the power we need. So we can learn that from the apostles. What can we learn from the Father? The Father has such an interesting story, doesn't it? Uh, he, doesn't he? He, he? he teaches us that, that faith and prayer activate God's power. And I don't mean to say that God can't work uh, in the absence of faith. God can do anything he wants, right? He's sovereign and he's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. But we've already seen Jesus be unwilling to heal in his hometown of Nazareth because the people there had no faith. Uh, so in that case, Jesus had the power, but he didn't have the will. Uh, and then when Jesus finds faith, then he has the power and the will. And that's when miracles happen. So trust God. Maybe your faith is not as strong as you would like it to be. Maybe your prayer life isn't as consistent as you would like it to be. Uh, but Prayer and faith go hand in hand. Each one strengthens the other. We pray because we believe. We believe because we have seen God answer prayer. 
So don't be afraid to tell God, I believe, help me with my unbelief. He already knows, and he's powerful to help. So we learn that about the Father. Uh, prayer, faith and prayer activate God's power. And last, what do we learn about Jesus? Well, Jesus said, bring the boy to me, right? For us, it is uh, bring fill in the blank to me. Whatever it is, right? For us, just substitute the boy, take that out, and put in whatever your issue is. Uh, you might be uh, dealing with worries or concerns of various kinds. Uh, God says, bring them to me. Uh, Jesus says, bring me your weariness, bring me your exasperation, bring me your frustration, bring it all to me, bring it to me. Jesus told the demon, come out and do not enter him again, right? Come out, do not enter him again. So Jesus says the same to us. He will cast out our concerns and our worries and our cares uh, if, we, if we come to him in faith and prayer. And they will not enter us again, only if we stay tethered to him as the diver has to stay tethered to his oxygen tank with the air hose and the mouthpiece. So what is it in your life? What do you need to bring to God? What is that will fill in this blank for you? That Jesus says, bring it to me. Whatever it is, you can bring it to him. So let's ask him now. Let's go to him now and just invite you, as I pray, to bring your concern to him. Uh, ask him to take care of it for you. And remember the part where he says, and don't, do not enter him again. Uh, remember that, because that is the part where our peace comes from. Let's go to him now. And Lord God, what an amazing story. What amazing grace that you showed uh, this man and his son. And Lord, uh, we are just so thankful that, that you just continue to give and give. And Lord, for us, as our faith wavers, as we deal with our own unbelief, uh, Lord, it's a failure on our part because we have seen you uh, rescue us so many times, first in our salvation, which uh, gives us eternal life, and then in the, in the days following, Lord, when we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble, Lord, you're always there for us and always healing and always helping uh, so, Lord, we, we, uh, we repent of our, our failure to believe as strongly as we ought to, but we come to you in faith, and we come to you in prayer, Lord, and we just tell you uh, we love you, we thank you for what Jesus did for us on the cross, and we just ask you as the man did, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Amen.